everybody, and welcome to the Baz Reviews BazCast. I'm your host, Baz, and we've got another awesome episode lined up for you today. As we approach the halfway point of 2020, I'm going to break down some of the albums and songs that I listened to in both May and June, why they were some of my favorites, and we will also be talking about some other newsworthy points from Baz Reviews. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome aboard. As crazy of a year 2020 has been, it's even crazier to think we're already through the second quarter of music. I am super happy that you're here listening to me talk about it. So if you're new here, thank you for tuning in to the Baz Reviews BazCast. I'm your host, William Baz Bazone, the founder and creative director for Baz Reviews, the best place to discover cool music. And if you're a returning listener, I'd also like to thank you for tuning in to my monthly 30 to 40 minute diatribe about music or listening to me give really awkward interviews to really famous people. Um, it really means a lot. Thank you. Um, and as always, before we get into the meat of the episode here, I'd like to give a little bit of information about what's going on with Baz Reviews. On June 13th of 2020, we celebrated the 18-month anniversary of Baz Reviews, and wow, what a ride it's been. I'm going to keep saying it's the recurring theme here on the episode, but 2020 has been a really crazy year. It's a bummer that I haven't been able to see concerts, go out and, you know, be as active as I, I have been in the past, but, you know, I've been able to interview some really amazing people some that I never thought I would have been able to get on Baz Reviews. So thank you so much to all those musicians out there who have given their time to me. That means a hell of a lot. And to all you guys who have been supporting me for so long, whether you've been here since episode number one or just recently even, I cannot thank you enough for continuing to give your support to what I do. Um, And if you can't support me in financial ways by buying merch through my Teespring store, which you can find down in the show notes below, it would be awesome if you guys would give me a follow at Baz Reviews on Instagram and even just reading some of the blog posts that I make. Viewership has been pretty good recently, but I'd really like to see some better numbers on some of those posts. In addition, I'd also like to talk a little bit about the kind of social justice movement here. I don't want to dive too deep into it, get too political here, but, you know, it's not that hard to say. Black lives matter, man. Got to give these people the support that they have been denied for so long. And I think one of the best ways to do that is not only listening to African-American musicians, but I also think, another plug here, but cinema from African-American directors that focus on the lives of their people, I think it's just it's really important to kind of understand. I think some of the best films that you can really watch right now are, first of all, Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. I think I talked about it back in February, how much I loved it. It's still a very relevant piece of filmmaking. Um, I also like La Haine by Mathieu Kosovitz. It's a French film that kind of explores the uh, racial inequality over in France. I'd also like to talk about the Netflix documentary The 13th by Ava DuVernay. I recently watched that for the first time, and I think it's an absolutely brilliant piece on the discrimination African-American people have faced over time. I've also heard really good things about the LA-92 documentary. I cannot say that I've seen it, but if you have, I hope you've enjoyed it, and um, let me know if you think it's worth a watch. I guess you could also say um, Boys in the Hood by John Singleton. That's on Netflix if you're interested in watching as well. But um, yeah, I think those are just some of the essential pieces of media that are also needing to be consumed right now. I'd also love to give a big thanks to the sponsor of this podcast, Audible, for all of my uh, demographic listeners here from the age of 18 to 24. I see that's the most popular. I think reading is definitely a challenge, um, but I have found it to be super easy with audiobooks, and you can do that by going to the link down in the show notes, audibletrial.com slash bazreviewsbazcast, 
and you will get a free month of Audible as well as an audiobook of your choice. So if you've got a summer reading book you got to get through, something you want to challenge yourself with, I think that it's a great way to do it. And it would be awesome because you're also supporting me. So that would also be a big commendable thing to do. And that's all I got for now, guys. So let's get into the month of May, some of the albums I listened to, and my favorite songs. So I think May was sort of an average month of listening, some good releases, some not so great, and we'll start it off with Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which was Fiona Apple's new album. I will not be shy to say this was quite unexpected. The New York City singer-songwriter released her first album in eight years, and it received the first ten from Pitchfork since, well, you guessed it, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. If you didn't think that was enough to spark my interest, you'd be wrong. Over the last 25 years, Apple has been rather sporadic with her releases. Her first two records were released at a pretty reasonable time, but there was a six-year break between 1999 and 2005 before she released her next full-length Extraordinary Machine. Another seven years down the road came The Idler Wheel in 2012. My point is, every time she releases something, it's damn near worth the wait. When I dove in to fetch the bolt cutters, I instantly fell in love with some of the new musical ideas Apple incorporated into her signature acoustic tracks. They harkened back to her previous work on the idler reel and such. Her songwriting is pretty sharp too, which is nothing new either. I think the tracks like I Want You To Love Me, Shamika, Under The Table, Ladies, and Cosmonauts were some of the standouts across the project. Though it's got the basics for being a great record, I sort of question why it was given the coveted 10 by Pitchfork in the first place. It doesn't really feel like a generation-defining album. To put it tersely, it's overhyped to some extent. There were a lot of awesome records in between the release of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy to now that might have been a little more deserving. I think another big criticism for me was how she really tried to be a lot edgier. Um, there was a lot of experimentation on the title track, also on Relay, Newspaper, Heavy Balloon, and on the finale, On I Go. That didn't really sit too well with me, and again, I don't really want it to get discounted that Bolt Cutters is a bad record by any means. I'm not really giving it a mixed review. It's definitely got some great moments, but I just don't know why so much had to be changed to that past greatness of Fiona Apple on here. I think a score of a 7.5 out of 10 was pretty reasonable for this record. On tap next year, we have How I'm Feeling Now from Charlie XCX. I've been getting into a lot of the PC hyperpop subgenre recently, and I figured I'd check out a record from one of the genre's biggest faces. Charlie XCX has been one of those fun artists to follow over the 2010s up until now. This was another record that came as somewhat of a surprise. It was also quite a creative record, too. She recorded this record over a four-week span during the COVID-19 pandemic, so it's kind of a, a memory of our time right now, you know, so I think that's really cool. Despite being recorded so quickly, it's anything but a rush job. If I'm being completely honest, it's one of the cleanest and most dynamic records I've heard so far in 2020. For the most part, it's a pretty well-paced record. In my eyes, 11 tracks and a 37-minute runtime is pretty ideal. I think a lot of the vocal delivery sounds super sharp, with some even being a bit of a step up from the cuts we got on her self-titled project from last year. I think another specific part of this album that I liked was the production style. It's got a melting pot of people who contributed to it, with guys like PC Music's founder A.G. Cook and 100 Gex member Dylan Brady getting executive producing credits on here. For those of you guys who listen to Gex, you'll know that they tend to sound quite a bit brash in their mixes. They're kind of like the rock equivalent to Death Grips in a sense. I like 100 Gex, but I don't think the cuts produced by Dylan Brady, like Claws, I Finally Understand, and Anthems really fit Charlie's overall style. Conversely, I think the more smooth and heavenly production by Cook on Tracks like 
Pink Diamond, Forever, Seven Years, Enemy, and C2.0, and The Closer Visions were some of the ones that I enjoyed a lot more. Despite having a few hiccups here and there, How I'm Feeling Now is a wonderful culmination of Charlie's new image, so to speak, that she's built up over the last few years. I gave this record an 8.5 out of 10. Here's another really special record, and I think one that you guys will enjoy a lot, Melee by Dogleg. This is the debut full length from the Detroit punk rockers and one that instantly caught my eye with its teaser material. Both of the songs Fox and Kawasaki Backflip were enough to get me interested in this project. I also got to sit down with the band's bassist, Chase McKinsky, this past month too, so I guess you could say that this was perfect timing for me to give a review on. In the interview, we talked a little bit more about the writing process on this record, which I'll kind of throw in as I give my sort of take on the record here on the podcast. I just first want to say that this is an incredible record, and how it might be one of the best punk projects I've heard in my reviewing days. For a debut record, the crystal clear production across the board is great. I love the delivery from lead singer Alex Stoicitis, and the supporting instrumentation from Chase and the Gang is unbelievable too. Along with the two singles, my favorites from the record were Bueno, Prom Hell, War Turtle, Wrist, and The Closer Ender. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think the best song off the album is Wrist. That's my personal favorite. I think it's such like a driving song, and I really love the, uh, the like the just guitar pre-chorus, kind of like how it sounds, uh, like Call and Collect. It takes from that element of things, and then uh, I'm really happy with the key change and you know the the background vocals and like all. I feel like there's a lot of elements that I really like about our band, and Wrist highlights all of them. For a 10-track record, being able to enjoy seven or eight of the tracks is a clear sign that consistency appears to be Dogleg's goal. Now, I kind of want to talk about the two tracks that I hadn't mentioned yet. Both were more of the weaker ones on the list. I wasn't personally the biggest fan of Head First and the direction they chose to take on it, and I also felt like Hotlines had a great instrumental, but it does flounder a little bit vocally, paired to a lot of the more powerful cuts across this thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, funny enough, we struggled a lot with the, the melody and lyrics on Hotlines, so... <laughs> it's a fair criticism because it was very it was difficult even for us to come up with something um i definitely wouldn't remove any songs from the album but if there's anything i think maybe we i would invest a little bit more time in cannonball um to make it feel a little bit more like a precursor to ender i like how it has elements that ender shares but i feel like the song just might be a little too short I just know I keep rehashing the same idea that Melee is great and all, but it's really because I haven't anything bad to say about it. Dogleg is easily one of the hottest newcomers in 2020, and I wish Chase and the band the best of luck with their music down the road. I gave this record a 9 out of 10. Shifting gears here, I'd like to talk about Aporia by Sufjan Stevens and Lowell Brahms. I don't think I've actually heard any Sufjan Stevens project since Kari and Lowell because I have been in love with both that and Illinois for the longest time. I know that the acclaimed singer-songwriter has bounced between New Age, classical, and folk music for the majority of his career, but this project specifically caught my eye. It was because he had been collaborating with his stepfather, The Lowell from the aforementioned 2015 album On This Go Around. Even though I've never really listened to a classical record and reviewed it, so to speak, I think listening to Aporia was a fine experience. However, it wasn't really a record that resonated with me all that much emotionally. Across the collection of 22 songs, there were only a few songs that I would say that gave me any sort of reaction. Those would be Usia, What It Takes, Disinheritance, Afterworld Alliance, The Red Desert, or The Unlimited. To clarify, the first three tracks that I mentioned were placed in the 1, 2, and 3 spots in the tracklist respectively. So yeah, there's definitely some clear consistency issues coming off right off the bat. For the most of the middle stretch of Aporia, the tracks felt very nebulated and underdeveloped. Instead of having short 30-second bursts of Ato 
tonal notes and sounds, I wish so much more musically could have been added to the mix. Everything sort of just blends together and sounds the same, and it's not until you reach the back end until you get the same vibe as you did in the beginning. By then, I had just become so disinterested in the project that I had started listening kind of half-acidly, which I kind of feel bad about. You know, I wish I could have gotten more out of it. Maybe you found something out of this that I didn't, and I'd be interested to hear different takes on it. In the meantime, if you're looking for a better place to start with Sufjan's instrumental projects, consider this one as an afterthought. Go back to the BQE or Run Rabbit Run, and then re-listen to this. I think you'll be able to notice the sharp decline in quality here after hearing them. I gave this record a 6 out of 10. To finish off the month of May here, I'd like to talk about Please Excuse Me for Being Antisocial by Roddy Rich. This time I'm going towards the pop rap genre with this Compton rapper's second full-length effort. Roddy Rich has definitely been helped by this new wave of TikTok. He is within the pantheon of artists that are popular on the app. The song Ballin' from DJ Mustard's record from last year, and this album's singles The Box and High Fashion have been ageless throughout the app's quick-moving trends, so I was definitely eager to see if the record had the same level of quality. Unfortunately, it was sort of a different story. A lot of readers will know that I ask a lot of artists that I interview if they prefer production value or lyricism when they make songs. I wouldn't even have to ask Roddy what he prefers more on this record, because it's quite obvious to see that it's production, no question. When he can't scrape together a decent verse, he always leans on the production to be the saving grace of a track. I thought he was someone who could be a face of the future in rap, but I have been proven wrong. Even if the production is his priority, it tends to be very repetitive across the project. Not only that, but for someone who is supposed to be a West Coast rapper, so to speak, it's weird to see that he's blending a lot of Southern hip-hop elements that are in. Across the 16 tracks here, I could only pick out a few new songs that I enjoyed all the way through. Those would be Start With Me, Moonwalkin', and War Baby. Out of the two singles from this project, I'm sad to say the box has not held up for me as much as I would have hoped either. Aside from the ultra-famous hook, the verses aren't all that memorable in my opinion. That pattern of decent hook and bad verses pours into the tracks like Perfect Time, God's Eyes, Pita, Boom Boom Boom, Backseat, Roll Dice, and Tiptoe. While it's certainly not the worst rap offering we've gotten in the last couple of years, please excuse me for being antisocial shows that Rich has a little bit more growing to do before he releases any future projects. I gave this record a 5.5 out of 10. Nothing amazing on here. So, do you agree with my takes on the albums I reviewed in May? If not, I'd definitely love to hear your takes. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, if you're not following me on Instagram, feel free to do so. Now let's talk about some of the songs that I enjoyed in May. First of all, I'd like to talk about Fox, which is actually from Dogleg's newest album, Melee, which I reviewed a little bit earlier in the episode. I just think this is arguably the best song on that project. Sounds amazing, love the guitar lines, the great vocals on there as well. Definitely worth a listen if you're not going to dive into the full album. At number two, we have Notice Me by my good buddy Harmless. Nacho Cano, just an amazing guy, love talking to him, just super open on social media, always responding to my messages, and I think here, it might be one of my favorite singles I've heard so far in 2020. It's got a really nice 90s vibe in there, reminds me a lot of something you might hear from a guy like Toro y Moi, etc., so I think that's really cool if you want to check it out. Next up, which was the closing song on the May episode of the Bazcast, The Beatles Special. I reviewed all of the Beatles records on there, and this was a song that I loved a lot, All Follow the Sun, which is from Beatles for Sale. To be honest, I think it's one of the most underrated Beatles songs, and definitely worth a listen if you're looking to dive deeper into some of the stuff that they've done. At number four, we have In Dreams by Roy Orbison. I actually discovered this through David Lynch's film Blue Velvet, which I loved a lot. 
and I think it's actually becoming one of the best films that not only I've watched in 2020, but maybe even of all time, to be honest. I think it's a brilliant film. And also, since I haven't been doing a What I Watched recently, if you'd like to see some of the reviews I'm doing of various films, go follow me on the app Letterboxd. That link is also down in the description. At number five, we have Falling for the Wrong One by Dreamer Boy. I, I mean, I guess his name speaks for the production style on here. It definitely is very dreamy, very ethereal. Uh, definitely, definitely a little bit of a sad song, but I think it's just a lovely little piece of music that, you know, if you're feeling down in the dumps and you just need something to be a warm blanket around you, that's one that I would go to. At number six, we have Still Not a Player by Big Pun. I actually discovered this song and album through Alpha Media's video, My Favorite Album from Every Year That I've Been Alive. I think the writing on this is actually pretty sharp. Big Pun is one of those guys, again, he died very early and didn't really have a big chance to prove himself. Stuff that you're seeing on that record from 98, it's brilliant, and it's a bummer that not a lot of his stuff is known by a lot of people. At number seven, we have Tears and Rain by Evangelist, which is from the 1982 film Blade Runner, which I personally did not enjoy all that much, but I do think Vangelis' soundtrack is pretty nice for the most part. I think that's arguably the best track on there, and of course you have the famous Tears of Rain speech before that, so I mean it just makes it an even better track, you know? That's all I gotta say about it. At number 8 we have Play a Shit by, I'm not really sure how you say his name, it's N, then 5 X's, and then an S. Um, I think it's honestly one of the better instrumental beats that I've heard. Would be pretty cool to rap over if somebody could do it. And it's just a really cool beat if you want to get in the, in your zone, man. It's just hype up. I love it a lot. At number nine, we have Kyoto by Young Lean. I've been digging a lot of his tunes, you know? I think he's one of those artists that's kind of a meme. You know, I think Drain Gang in general, they actually have some bangers, not only from Young Lean, but guys like Blade, Tyboy Digital, Echo 2K. They're just a great little hip-hop collective that I wish a lot of people you know, knew about other than as just a meme. They have good music in there, and I really think that it's worthy of checking out. And last but not least here, we have Picture This by Kiro Kiro Bonito. The only song I've heard from them before was actually Flamingo, but I've been hearing a lot more of their stuff recently, and I really like it. I think Picture This is probably one of the better ones that I've heard, but I also like, um, what's the name of it? Uh, Trampoline, that's also a really good one. So yeah, I think Picture This and Trampoline are ones you should definitely check out if you really liked Flamingo. Kind of a different sound, so to speak, but still really good in general. So now that we've got May out of the way, let's switch it over to the month of June. Looks like it's gonna be a great day today to get some fresh air like a stray on a straightaway. Hey you, got a light? Nah, a Bud Light. Early in the morning, face crud from like a mud fight. Looky here, it's just the way the cookie tear. Prepare to get hurt and mangled like Kurt Angle, rookie year. The rocket scientist with the pocket wine. I think of all the months in 2020 so far, June was one of the strongest. And starting off, we have Run the Jewels 4 by one of my favorite hip-hop collectives, Run the Jewels. Despite getting a solid preview with Yankee and the Brave and Ooh La La, it was not until recently that rapper Killer Mike and producer LP announced their fourth record together. It was a no-brainer to put this album on my review radar as soon as the announcement came out, because I have been a big fan of these guys since their debut album back in 2013. In wake of the nationwide riots resulting from the Minneapolis Police Department's murder of George Floyd, the duo decided to surprise release the record a few days before the June 5th drop date. Let's just say I was also online as soon as that announcement was made as well. And man, on that first listen, RTJ4 is just another well-done outing from the group. I think it features some of the most unique production, as well as some of the best verses from the duo. The writing really encapsulates the craziness our country has been facing in recent times, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of How I'm Feeling Now by Charlie XCX. Their commentary on the political landscape will hopefully be able to stand the test of time. Along with the two singles that I mentioned at the top of the review, I was a big fan of songs like Out of Sight, Goonies vs. E.T., Just, and The Ground Below. 
I want to give a quick nod to the second half of Holy Calamafuck as well. It definitely could have ended up making a decent interlude or fully fleshed song without that first 90 seconds before the beat switch. On that note, I think that's really where some of the weaknesses come to shine through on this album. When you keep diving deeper into each track's content, there's some really minor things that start to add up. Despite packing another strong instrumental, Walking in the Snow was another weaker cut that didn't do too much for me. I also did not care for either the call and response from Mike and P, nor the beat on Never Look Back, or LP's verse on Pulling the Pin. Most of all, I felt like a few words for the firing squad was a weaker way to end such an in-your-face record. It sort of keeps dragging on with the whole meta-narration deal, and it doesn't feel like a song that should have made the record at all. I think compared to the rest of Run the Jewels' discography, I'd say RTJ4 is not their worst offering by any means. I think it certainly lacks some of the polish of past projects, but it has a lot of great things to offer the musical and social landscape we have right now. I gave this record an 8 out of 10. Another album I reviewed in June was Heaven to a Tortured Mind by Eve Toomer, and to make a long story short, the sophomore album from Warp Records mastermind Sean Bowie was nothing short of impressive. It's just a stark change from his debut, the softer, more minimalist Safe in the Hands of Love. If you listen to this record, I can only imagine you're in the same boat as me, questioning if this is actually the same artist. In just 36 minutes, there's a balancing act of so many different styles. You would think that three completely random genres like funk, hard rock, and industrial music would never go well together. That is, not until now. Gospel to a New Century, Medicine Burn, Kerosene, Dream Palette, Fully Impose, and A Greater Love are essential listens to fully understand what I'm talking about. Even though I think there's a lot of good to come from this record, I do see some small issues here. In the grand scheme of the record, the song Hostile and Lights felt a little out of place. It just doesn't build off of that sound that the first four or five tracks had going. The following track, Romanticist, was the exact same way, and quite honestly might have been the weakest link on the project. Lastly, towards the end of the project, the wonky Strawberry Privilege had a sound that didn't really sit too well with me either. With that, I believe that Heaven to a Tortured Mind really showed the amount of range Bowie has as an artist, and while his first outing was pretty good, every track on here is so different from the last. It makes me excited to see how much deeper Eve Toomer as a project can go down the road. This was another record that I gave an 8 out of 10. Next up, I listened to Purple Moonlight Pages by Rap Ferreira, formerly known as Milo and Scallops Hotel. This is the newest rap project from main rapper Rory Ferreira. I used to be a pretty big fan of Ferreira's stuff in the day back as Milo, but I haven't really revisited any of his other albums because of all the other rap music I've heard over the last couple of years. So I decided to pay a tribute to one of my early rap favorites with a review of Purple Moonlight Pages. I think Rory's new persona as Rap Ferreira is pretty well done. Clocking in at 52 minutes, it's the longest project I've heard from him to date. On this outing, the delivery feels more spoken word and poetic, but still keeps some of the quirky raps he would string together as Milo. This record was also notably produced by the California trio The Jefferson Park Boys, led by Kenny Seagal. He's a producer who I haven't been super impressed by so far. As some of you may know, I unfavorably reviewed his collaboration with Billy Woods last year called Hiding Places, but I think Seagal has definitely taken a turn for the better. There's one big reason for that. He has worked with Rory before, handling the production on the Milo project so the flies don't come. While it's not necessarily my favorite project from the Milo days, the point stands that Kenny clearly knows how Rory likes to rap. The chemistry between both producers and rapper here is so potent, and I think that's why so many of the songs felt so enjoyable. The opening four-track run of Greens, Non-Cypher, Omens and Totems, and UDIG is one of the best sets I've heard all year. Pair that with other outstanding tracks like Dust Up, Absolutes, Leaving Hell, and An Idea is a Work of Art, and one could argue that the track list is absolutely stacked. There are definitely a few hiccups here along the tracklist, 
two of the biggest being laundry and cycles, but my biggest complaints come from the end of the record. Remember how I mentioned it's the longest project I've heard from Ferreira so far? Well, I don't really know if long form is the answer here. The back end of this feels really bloated and unsure of itself, and the result is three indelible tracks in Pinball, Rotok, and the incredibly weak closer Master Plan. While I can certainly say that Purple Moonlight Pages was a great return into Rory Ferreira's discography, I think the poor ending to this record is where it loses some points on the bass scale. I did end up giving this record a 9 out of 10 though. Next up we have Sawayama by Rina Sawayama. As some of you may know from my earlier review of Charlie XCX's record, I've been really getting into the PC music genre in recent times. I've heard really good things about Rina's music, and she is an artist that I have yet to hear anything from in the genre. While the ethos of PC music lies in using really loud bass, wonky synths, heavily auto-tuned and or pitch-shifted vocals, I really don't know why this would qualify as PC music. Rena doesn't employ any of those tactics on the record, rather cherry-picking from a melange of elements you would have heard in early 21st century chart-topper music. It's new metal, alternative rock, teen pop, electronic, and it's kind of weird why I enjoyed this record so much. Many of you know that I'm a vehement critic of the modern pop music landscape, but hearing the sounds of the music I grew up listening to in a completely new context feels very refreshing. I wouldn't really say that nostalgia is what makes this album great, though, because I haven't even begun to talk about Rena's musical abilities yet. Though sort of a late bloomer into the music landscape, the 29-year-old Japanese-British singer-songwriter shows so much strength in both the writing and recording aspects of the record. Everything feels so tight and coherent, and I don't think there's one single skip across the first six or seven tracks of the record. I think the album loses a little bit of its luster around the middle part, with the overly redundant tracks Bad Friend, Fuck This World, and Who's Gonna Save You Now being the weakest three of the bunch in my eyes. It also appears that having a poor closer is a common thread this month, as Rena's choice for the finale, Snakeskin, doesn't really hit the mark either. As a whole, Rina Sawayama's debut was pretty remarkable. Its quality is rather unmatchable, and she makes another great case for who could receive my Best New Artist or Debut Album Award at the end of the year. I also gave this album a 9 out of 10. Switching gears here over to the electronic side of things, we have Suddenly by Caribou. Despite having a discography that stretches back into the early 2000s, Dan Snaith is another artist that I have not heard much from in my reviewing times. I figured that I would forage into new territories and hear the newest outing from the veteran Canadian producer. Across the record, I definitely think Snaith has a lot of great musical ideas going on. He's another artist who tapped into a lot of different ideas from the electronic genre. Whether it was EDM, house, or an electronic funk vibe, Snaith is quite savvy in crafting a lot of different soundscapes. In fact, I'd say some of the tracks are some of the best I've heard in 2020 so far. My two favorites from the project were definitely Home and Never Come Back. They are worth a listen if you don't want to dive into the whole album. I'd also like to mention cuts like Sister, You and I, Magpie, and Ravi. All were very nice additions to the record. Aside from these tracks, though, I think the other cast of characters doesn't really feel as memorable or re-listenable. Yes, I gave about six examples of what Snaith did well, but keep in mind that it is a 12-track record. As obvious as it sounds, to be average or hovering around the 50% accuracy mark is not where a musician should be aiming for. I don't think it was that any of the other six tracks were inherently bad by any means, they just felt severely underdeveloped or detrimental to the mix as a whole. For example, if you listen to the seemingly out-of-place rap electronic track Sonny's Time, you might have had the same reaction I did, sitting there and scratching your head on how this added anything to the record. I also had similar feelings toward tracks like New Jade and Like I Loved You. I think both have fine instrumentals, but once again, they don't feel as powerful as the rest of the bunch. This is probably about the eighth time I've had to say something like this in 2020, but I want you to take this review with just a wee, tiny, petite grain of salt. I haven't heard anything under the caribou moniker other than this. 
Maybe this is his best, or maybe this is his worst in some of the true fans' eyes. My two cents on Suddenly, though, is that it has some very promising moments from front to back. However, it definitely did leave a little bit to be desired in overall quality. I ended up giving this album a 7.5 out of 10. And now we have the final album review of both May and June, Where Have All My Friends Gone, by Boyo. This is the newest project from the LA bedroom pop artist and another great friend of mine, Rob Tilden. He did release an EP called You Don't See Me towards the end of last year, but Where Have All My Friends Gone will mark his first full album since 2018. Out of the two singles that had been released to promote the project, I think I definitely preferred Skip to Backseat Driver. On this record, it feels like Rob had a really interesting diversion from his past work. Out of his four full-length albums, this is easily the least noisy of the bunch. It's also not as bedroom poppy as Dance Alone or Control, nor is it as dark as Me Again was. He takes remnants from each project of the past and makes the music feel completely new. I loved a lot of the things on tracks like Dogma, Junk, Summer Home, Patience, Tough Kid, Forget It, and The Closer Windows. It's a relatively consistent project throughout, but the only criticism I can really give the record is that the middle stretch has a couple of weak sections. On the record's title track, I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of his delivery over what was actually a pretty decent instrumental. I was also not the biggest fan of the succeeding track, Southern Gothic. Again, I love the vibe of this track, but Rob just doesn't seem to be at his best on here. In my eyes, this is probably the weakest track on the record. Before I wrap this up, though, I just want to talk about Rob as a person. First off, he's one of the nicest guys in the music scene. I first interviewed him around this time last year, and he's been someone who's always willing to make an appearance on whatever I'm doing. He's been on an episode of the Bazcast, episode number 8 if you're interested in listening, and if you tuned into the COVID Chronicles, he was a recurring guest. It was really fun to chat with him about different music and movies, and it's cool to see how we really connect on a lot of things. I really appreciate him as a person, and if you're listening to this, I just want to say thanks for always being there. It means a lot. All in all, this is easily Rob's most dynamic outing to date, and if you haven't heard any other Boyo albums before, I strongly recommend that you start here. I'm feeling, yet again, another 9 out of 10 on this project. So now before we dive into the tracks that I really like from the month of June, I'd also like to kind of do another shameless self-promotion here and talk about the album that I released earlier this month. The project is called Water, and I released it under the moniker MC Helen Keller. Uh, Water was actually the first word she spelled with the hand sign language thingy. Not really sure what that's called, but to be honest, I really could not find a way to describe this album to you. It's basically kind of like an industrial Plunderphonics album, as weird as that sounds. It's definitely not the most appealing genre out there for a lot of people, and I totally get that, but I hope that you can get some enjoyment out of it. It's seven tracks, 15 minutes long. You can find it on SoundCloud, and I can definitely link that down in the show notes as well. Feel free to criticize it in any way that you can. Go Fantano on my ass. I don't care. It's just a fun album. I wasn't going out there to make it like the greatest album ever. I was just trying to have fun. I don't really know how to produce, so it sounds pretty bad. So, yeah, hope you're able to find some enjoyment out of it. Starting off, we have So What by Vince Staples. I really like this one, actually. It's an interlude from the show he has, I think, over on Adult Swim. Haven't seen it at all, but I think the track's decent. Definitely worth checking out. At number two, we have Fun Tonight by Macross82-99. I love Future Funk and Vaporwave. It's a really cool genre. Kind of oversaturated, I suppose, but still, I love this song a lot. It's catchy, fun to listen to. And now let's switch it over to another dance track, Cancer in the Water by Clarence Clarity. Love the instrumental on this, and the vocal melodies are also super beautiful as well. At number four, we have Out of Sight, which is actually from RTJ4. I think that's probably the best song on the project and will most likely make the top 20 song list at the end of the year. 
At number five, we have In the Gata da Vida by Iron Butterfly. I was actually watching the Simpsons episode Bart Sells His Soul, and I kind of got into it through that. I thought the gag where Bart made that the opening hymn was really funny because that's, that's actually the single version that I really enjoyed. I haven't listened to the full, like, 17-minute version of it, and that was kind of the visual gag they made, so props to them for getting me into this song. At number six, we have 80808 by Death Grips. It's a really solid song from the group. I think The Money Store is their best album, but I do think there are some nice little gems sprinkled in throughout their discography, and this is one of them. At number seven, we have Turn Off the Lights by Teddy Pendergrass, which I actually sampled on the project Water. You'll probably notice it on Trochaic Tetrameter. If you find out what parts I sampled, let me know. I'm really excited to hear if you can find it or not. At number eight, we have Calm de Garçon from Rina Sawayama's album. I think that also is the best track on that album and definitely worth a listen. At number nine, another album from June, UDIG, Rap Ferreira. Great song. Love it a lot. Hope you do too. And at number 10, we have Symphonia 9 by Current Joys. It's a cover of the Grime song from her 2012 album Visions. I like Nick Radigan's approach on this. Sounds really good. Love the instrumental as well. That wraps up this episode of the Baz Reviews Bazcast. I hope you guys are all doing well and staying safe amidst everything that is happening. In the meantime, stay tuned for more Baz Reviews content, and I will see you again soon with another episode of the Baz Reviews Bazcast. This is Baz, signing off. Thanks for listening. I'm still not a player, but you still a hater. Elevator to the top, high. See you later, I'm gone. Penthouse sweet, penthouse freaks, in-house beach, French count seats, 10,000 beats, rent out lease. When an option to buy, copping a five of pens from when I'm not. Who up in the sky, going for the lie. Put my twinsito up in the Benzito with my Kiko from Queens. Nickname Eagle. We go back like DAs and wear PJs. Now we reach the B gauge, running trains for three days. Who wanna ride? It won't cost you a dollar with a sword for harder.